Are Christians clueless? Should they be? Can they afford to be? Not these days, between riots in Portland, the Derek Chauvin trial, and all of the things that are taking place all around us. Now is not the time to be clueless when it comes to your faith. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Keith Crosby Out of My Mind. This is podcast 034, podcast 34, and today we want to have a biblical conversation with you about the crazy world in which we live because it's getting crazier. So join us over the next 20 minutes or so as we provide you a bird's eye view perspective of the complex issues confronting our culture, the church, and you as we apply God's word to make sense of it all. And at the end of the podcast, we'll point you to additional resources for further study just in case you'd like to dig a little bit deeper. In the meantime, let's get started. Okay, Mark, let's talk about so-called clueless Christians. Yeah, clueless Christians is a term that uh, I feel like I've definitely heard thrown around, um, but I don't think the way I've heard it used is really the way that um, we're going to talk about it today. So why don't you just kind of clue us in a little bit on where you're going with this? Yeah, you know, Mark, it's used to describe Christians in general sometimes in a very unkind or some would say pejorative way. And then at times, it really speaks to our lack of competence in making sense of our existence using the scriptures. And while, you know, we always struggle to come up with titles, uh, you know, like clueless Christians to be eye-catching, this is no laughing matter. And so what I'd like to do today is to begin by reading a scripture or two that I hope will get us into the groove in terms of thought process. And where we're going to start is an interaction between Jesus and the Sadducees in Matthew 22, 23 to 29. And it says this, the same day the Sadducees came who say that there is no resurrection and they ask him a question saying, teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. This is referring to leveret marriage. We won't get into all that yet. But now there were seven brothers among us. The first married and died and having no offspring left his wife to his brother. And so too the second and the third, down to the seventh, they all died. After them, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. Watch Jesus' answer in verse 29. But Jesus answered them, You are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Now let's hit the pause button there on this passage, and we'll go to another more familiar passage, and that is the story of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, 19 to 31. We're going to pick up in verse 24, and let me just kind of set this up. We all know the story. We probably heard it in Sunday school about a poor man who lived at a rich man's gate, and he died, and they both went into the afterlife. And the poor man's name was Lazarus, and he went into paradise with Abraham. Uh, and then the, the, the rich man went into the flame. And so as we come up on the story here, the rich man is suffering in the fire. And it says this in verse 24. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass over from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he, the rich man, said, Then I beg you, Father, 
Send him, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they too come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he, Abraham, said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So you have to watch this play out. What's going on here, Mark? What stands out? What's the common thread between both of these passages? Well, I think if you look at both of them, uh, really, I think the important thing that stands out there is is how important the scriptures are. And uh, you really see that in the end of that one in Luke, you know, where uh, Abraham's reply to this rich man is, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And, and really just that emphasis that like, if they don't believe the scriptures, then they're not going to believe some miracle working of God either. That's right. You hit the nail on the head. And you know, when you look in Matthew 22, in the first case with the Sadducees, most people know more about Pharisees and scribes. The Sadducees were the religious group in charge of the temple, the high priest and the chief priest. They had come to Jesus with a question about widows marrying multiple times in this life and losing husbands to death each time. And they want to know who ends up with the wife in heaven. And then you need to understand that there's more that meets the eye with the Sadducees. They were anti-supernaturalists, even though they were the chief priests. They didn't believe in an afterlife. They didn't believe uh, in angels. They were sort of the anti-Judaism Jews. Uh, They denied prophecy, but they did hold to the moral code of the Ten Commandments. They were sort of moralists, and they fancied themselves as intellectuals. And what they were trying to do was to mock Jesus because they considered him inferior to them as the superior religious teachers. But Jesus surprised them because... They claimed to be religious, but they lacked understanding of God's word, and that lack of understanding betrayed their cluelessness when it came to God and his power and the Bible, the scriptures. And so Jesus implies they should have known better as keepers of the temple. And so he, he shows, hey, if you knew the scriptures, then you'd know about the power of God. You'd understand how all this works. And he goes on to explain that they're, they're like the angels. They're, people aren't given in marriage in heaven. And then in Luke 16, in the second case, you have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And we have this picture of one person's conscious, unending punishment due to his unbelief. And, and he calls out to Abraham in paradise to have Lazarus rise from the dead and go to his brothers. And so, you know, and this is, I don't want to get into paradise and Sheol. This is before the cross. This is before all of that. This is the Old Testament economy in action, so to speak. But this story points to the importance of Scripture. So wouldn't that be a parable then if you're talking about a story? You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Mark. This passage, some believe it's a parable, But it's not. And here's why. Because parables don't provide the level of detail that this passage provides. They tell one point. They make one simple point. There's no names given and there's no dialogue. This is actually a historical account from the inspired scriptures about the importance of the inspired scriptures. And so this Lazarus uh, is there and the rich man asks for a miracle. He asks to send Lazarus back to the land of the living. And I just want you to watch this play out again. You see this again in verse 27. He said, I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house for, because I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear Moses and Abraham, uh, Moses and the prophets. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. They'll turn to God and they'll put their faith in God. And he said to them, 
if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, if they do not pay attention to the scriptures, they won't be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Okay, so Abraham is basically saying at this point that it's the word of God that saves. That's right, Mark. You, that's a bingo, as they say. You are 100% right. This is sort of a, another version of faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So often believers in our time forget or ignore that salvation comes not by gimmicks or even by miracles, but by hearing, understanding, and embracing the word of God. That's the point of our passage. It's the word of God, and that's why they call it the word of life. A lot of times today you hear about power evangelism and power religion as if if you performed enough miracles, people would believe. But it is the gospel, not miracles, that save. I mean, think about it. Judas saw all the miracles. He saw Jesus lead a sinless life. So did Jesus' enemies. He saw Jesus raise another Lazarus from the dead. And despite all these miracles, these people didn't believe. They ignored the miracles. I mean, think about Peter's Pentecost sermon. He explained, he unpacked the writings of Moses and David, and the crowd repented. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Heard what? Heard the word of God explained. Or Jesus on the Emmaus Road. And it says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained all the things concerning himself. He opened the scriptures to them, and their minds were opened, and they understood who the Messiah was. Okay, so I think up to this point, we've established you know, how important scripture is and, and what that is. I think most people who are listening to this podcast are probably Christian, and uh, they would probably agree that scripture is important. So, so what's really the point that you're trying to get to with all this? Well, Mark, it's, it's a great question. Today, many Christians, uh, they might have their favorite verses. They might have their favorite passage. They might, they might have a, a routine they do when they evangelize people. But today, many Christians often seem clueless regarding how to live out their faith, how to respond to the world, how to avoid unnecessary self-inflicted hardship, because they do not, as Jesus said to the religious leaders, they know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. Why? Because they haven't invested time in the scriptures. They haven't learned beyond a certain point. I mean, think about it. You're a student ministries pastor and a young adults pastor too. How much hardship have you seen because younger people didn't understand that dating outside the faith is a recipe for disaster? I mean, God actually forbids it, right, in 2 Corinthians. Yeah, it's 2 Corinthians uh, 6, 14 through 18. Uh, where it talks about, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the, the temple of God with idols? For we are a temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. That's it. What you see here are a bunch of prohibitions. Do not be unequally yoked or bound with unbelievers. And then there's a question, for what partnership has righteousness with, un with lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Bilal? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement does the temple of God have with idols? And here's the punchline, we are the temple of the living God. So what's going on here? This is a prohibition against missionary dating, where a believer and an unbeliever date. I mean, one date, and you've violated this passage. And this passage is there not to restrict your fun, but to protect you, but to guide you, to keep you pure, to keep you safe, to keep you on the right track. 
And, you know, it doesn't just deal with missionary dating, with dating an unbeliever. It deals with forming alliances with the wrong kinds of people in business or in politics or in life in general. Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not to corrupt our bodies through wrong associations. I remember a guy in a previous church. He was a Christian. He came to Christ late in life. And he found himself in a literal business partnership with a number of unbelievers who violated the law and who violated all sorts of regulations, uh, environmental things. And he had to get out of that partnership from a Christian sense, from a moral sense, from a legal sense, in order to keep himself from being fined, maybe even stay out of jail, to avoid all kinds of penalties. Now, this wasn't his fault because he entered this business partnership with his friends when he was an unbeliever. So it wasn't his fault any more than two people are married and one comes to Christ later on. But we all hear the sad stories from these types of relationships. Because just like oil and water don't mix, light and darkness don't mix. And Christians should avoid such self-inflicted hardships if they are already Christian. They don't want to entangle themselves in this kind of relationships. And so often, people just don't know this. And it leads to great harm, like dating an unbeliever. And, And these days, that's why we talk about clueless Christians. Because many Christians, and I'm not being mean, calling people clueless, but many Christians seem clueless about life and faith because they don't read their Bibles. Or in many cases, their churches don't teach the whole counsel of God's Word. It's sort of a dual neglect. You've heard me say more than once, it's not what's taught that often harms the church, but what is not taught. And it's a sad, sad situation. You know, we've often talked about that the Great Commission just isn't evangelism. It speaks to evangelism, yes. It speaks to discipleship, and it speaks to obedience. Go make disciples, tell people about Christ when they're saved, baptize them, that's the first step of obedience, and then teach them to do all that I've commanded you. This is discipleship. This is mentoring them. And one of the reasons that churches... And Christians have an anemic faith these days is because people have embraced some form of the gospel and sometimes not even the gospel. And no one takes them by the hand and begins to mentor them and maybe discovers they weren't saved to start with and they come to Christ or they don't teach them how to live out their faith. And the slings and arrows and trials of this world come against them and overwhelm them and crush their spirits. Yeah, I think that, you know, a lot of what we see, I think, especially in Christianity today, and what what kind of leads to this clueless Christian is this more casual attitude, I think, that we have towards studying the scriptures. We will listen to what the, teach, the, what the preachers say, and, and, you know, again, it's not what's taught, it's what's not taught. And so it's the avoidance of these certain topics that people just never really think about and and really they don't have this attitude and i think you've talked about it in previous podcasts about being a berean a good studier of the yeah. word one who considers the word and so it's really i think the attitude towards studying god's word that trips them up yeah you have to take a holistic approach to it i mean god's word is is comprehensive and and this is the shame in in some cases where you know, a pastor wants to avoid a controversial topic or he doesn't want to ruffle any feathers. And by not doing that, he fails to inoculate them against a spiritual pathogen that's going to make them spiritually sick or harm them in some way. And you're right, it, it betrays a sort of a careless attitude or a clueless attitude toward God's word. It is God's word 
that helps us to make sense of our existence. It's, it's vital to our existence. You know, I know you're going to be teaching in a few weeks, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, and what does that say? Yeah, that's that's pretty much the core of the, the passage that I am preaching, and it's that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and the training in righteousness. And then here's kind of the kicker for it is that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so it's really that this scripture is the thing that prepares us. Exactly right. It clues you in. You know, it has something to say about every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our being. It's useful. It's profitable for teaching, for doctrine, for reproof, for for rebuking some crazy idea, for correction, for fine-tuning our walk with God, and for training in righteousness so that we will be complete, equipped, prepared for every good work. And we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago on Sunday, uh, 2 Timothy 2.15, the Awana verse, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Why? Rightly handling the word of truth. You can't help but notice the concept of, for lack of a better descriptive term, avoiding shame, avoiding cluelessness in living a life for Christ. You are not clueless. You are an approved worker. You're not ashamed or embarrassed. Why? Because you're rightly, competently handling the word of truth. And I just want to point this out. You can't serve God without knowing God intimately, personally, intelligently. You can pay lip service, but relationships take work. And our end of the bargain, so to speak, our end of the relationship involves reading, and this sounds cliche, God's love letter from another world. You know, these days people read horoscopes, they read all kinds of things. They read texts, but they don't read scripture. They don't read God's word. They don't read their Bibles with any kind of systematic approach, and the gaps in their understanding make them, as some would say, uh, clueless. And... You know, I, I want to look at some more scripture here. It says in Proverbs uh, 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of non-cluelessness, and the knowledge of the holy is insight. And where, do these, where does this insight for knowing God come from? The scriptures. Two more passages. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no prophetic vision... The people cast off restraint. But, and watch this, blessed is he who keeps the law. What is the law? It's the word of God. Okay, some more verses. I know I'm loading up a lot of scripture here. This is Jesus talking. And Jesus says in John 8, 32, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And in John 17, he explains what the truth is. He says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. He's praying to the Father, and he's saying it is the word of God that is truth. It is that word that sets us free and uh, that clues us in. Yeah, and, and I think that this is where clueless Christianity uh, comes in. It's, it's not that God doesn't tell us how to live for him or love him. He's, he's told us how to do that, and it's all there for us in the Bible, and we just need to understand that. Yeah, you know, he's left us, if you want to put it this way, plenty of clues. He's given us precise guidance, because every topic imaginable is covered in the Bible. There are, If it doesn't speak directly to an issue, it provides us principles that we can apply to every issue. And that's why I say the Word of God has something to say about every inch of thread that makes up the fabric of our being, because it does. It, you know, 2 Corinthians 6.14 deals with relationships, right? Uh, 
you know, the word of God tells us, you know, is, you know, Abraham said, you know, they have Moses and the prophet, let them hear them. And the, the rich man goes, no, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to them, if they do not hear, that is obey, Moses and the prophets, the scriptures, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Because it is the word of God that informs our understanding of the world in which we live, of the issues that we face. God's word, the Bible, B-I-B-L-E. How many times have you heard me say this? Basic instructions before leaving earth. It's life's not-so-little instruction book in terms of significance. It's huge. And and it's so critical. Uh, we, We have to consult it. We have to read it. I'm going to another passage here. I know it sounds like I'm preaching a sermon, but hey, you know, just work with me here. Psalm 19, uh, 7 through 11. I just want to read this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Uh, the Hebrew there could also say saving the soul. The testimony, that's the word of God again, is sure. Watch the effect of it, making wise the simple. Not making us clueless, but cluing us in. The precepts of the Lord, another synonym for the Bible, are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Look at this, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They will not steer us wrong. And then verse 10 talks about their value. More to be desired are they than gold even much fine gold, and sweeter, and sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. And then look at the utility here. I'm making us adequate for every good work. Verse 11, Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. This is insight for living. Skill for clueful, not clueless, but for wise and competent living, for good decisions. Yeah, I think the the right term um, for a lot of this uh, that I keep thinking of as I hear you go through this is having a good, solid biblical worldview, and I think that comes from understanding what the Bible says and letting it affect your worldview. So, as we wrap up here, um, what what should we take away? What do we walk out of here um, with from this podcast? Well, let me piggyback on your use of the word worldview because we can't use that word enough, and I like that word, but worldview. The Bible is the lens through which we view the world in which we live. It is wisdom from on high. Maybe our listeners noticed today, even with the Derek Chauvin trial, even with all the stuff going on in Portland, we really didn't zero in on any cultural issues today. And the reason is, is this is so foundational to addressing them. And one of the shortcomings of of the testimony and the witness of the church today is that we don't we, are, we don't ground ourselves in the scriptures. In 2 Peter 1, 19 through 20, it says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. Some translations say more sure. And it says, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That's Christ. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, no, you know, no personal invention here. And then it says in verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It describes the scripture as a lamp shining in a dark place. And that is the planet on which we are living today. 
These are dark times. And we need to understand that the scriptures aren't the invention of man. They are the word of God. The prophetic word made more sure, more fully confirmed. And, and therefore, with the Bibles available to us and the wonderful translations we have at our disposal today, there should be no such thing as an incompetent or a clueless Christian. That should be a, a contradiction in terms. You know what? There are still wonderful, wonderful Bible teaching churches available to all if they will seek them out. And in those churches, there are people that are willing to mentor you, if you're, if you're not a member of a local church, to mentor others, to bring them along, to give them skill for living from the Word of God. And I just can't say enough about that. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to have additional resources, go to www.gracetoliveradio.org and hit the resource button. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear from you. Email me at keith at hillside.org. If you'd like to worship with us, we have worship services at 8, 945, and 1130. You can worship with us online at www.hillside.org forward slash services. We're on every podcast platform. Uh, Be sure and access us because we release this podcast every Wednesday. Give us a great rating. Tell your friends about us. We want to reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ. This is Keith Crosby with Mark Stickler. God bless you and keep you.